0: open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 43, Isaiah chapter 43. I promise we will get back to Acts if the Lord doesn't come back and if I'm still here next week, which ought to be, Lord willing. And before we get into today's text, I want to share with you um, that all of the scriptures that were previously read during the service uh, they have a deep connection to what we're going to talk about today from Isaiah chapter 43. And so um, if you would, go ahead and, and get your Bible out because we're not just going to be reading it, uh, the, the main passage here from the Bible. We're also going to be looking at some additional scrip- scripture references. You guys know normally, bless you, normally I put them up here on the screen. I didn't do that this week. I think it's really good for us to get more accustomed to our Bibles, to be able to find the passages, or at least figure out how to use your app to scroll to it, Um, because I know a lot of us do that, but, (coughs) excuse me, and I just want to tell you, I I have a legit paper Bible up here. Uh, I'm going to be using this when I turn to the additional passages, and we're going to see how this goes today, because we may continue this practice as it's good for all of us to get more accustomed to finding the passages, and also, uh, you'll know (coughs) that I'm not pulling a fast one on you, because that's really important, you know, who... Who's to say I'm not looking up something from Hezekiah 3 or Second Opinions or whatever. So you want to make sure that we're, uh, we're in the right book. So anyway, while you're turning to Isaiah 43, just be aware we're also going to be revisiting Acts chapter 2 and Ezekiel 47 as well. So as you're doing that, and as the kids are finding the bingo pictures, I'm going to try to explain what's behind this message. Okay? Now, as, as you're aware, it's New Year's Day. That's the first official day of 2023. And uh, I know a lot of us have probably thought about making a resolution or two. Has anyone? Has anyone made a resolution? One? A couple, or just a few? Okay. Have you broken it already? No? Just checking. <laughs> you know, hopefully not. A resolution is, is typically uh, a good thing. It's a decision to take on a new habit or, or a new discipline. You know, maybe setting aside a specific time for prayer. And being in the word, or or maybe going to the gym, uh, it can also be for setting a new goal, um, like you know getting to a certain weight, or uh, or even turning over a new leaf in some other area with your diet, with your relationships, um, you know whatever. It's nearly always about something new. And so, friends, I'm convinced from the scriptures that God has an affinity for things that are new things that are fresh, rejuvenated, creative. You know, the the Psalms and the prophets each contain a command to sing unto the Lord a new song. We're under a new covenant. Those who are in Christ are a new creation, commanded to put on the new self. In today's passage from Isaiah 43, in in this text, God tells His people to pay attention because he is doing a new thing. And it's a reminder that he is often doing a new thing throughout the arc of history, as well as within the life of the church and as well as within the life of each individual Christian. So in in this very short passage, verses 16 through 21, God, God reveals at least six things that ought to bring us tremendous comfort as we look into the unknown territory of the future. Would that be helpful for anybody here? To get some comfort with this uncertain future? Could anybody use some comfort as they continue what's on their, their menu for next week or, or, or next month or next year or decade? I, I sure can. I'd appreciate some, some comfort. The Lord's word is full of comfort as well as conviction, as well as counsel. So let's read through the passage once together and then we'll pray. And then we're going to come back and break it into some, some smaller chunks for easier digestion, okay? Uh, this is... Isaiah chapter 43, this is verses 16 through 21. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior, they lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, they are quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself that they might declare my praise. Will you bow with me? Lord, we thank you for your word, and we ask that as we study this passage that you open our hearts to be receptive to your truth. We pray, Father, that it will go deep in us, in our souls, in our hearts, in our minds, in our character, that it will take root and bear fruit, Father, that we might see your hand at work in us, and that the world might see it too, and that it might bring honor and glory to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, friends, let's consider what the Lord reveals to us here. You know, as we, we go back through this passage, Isaiah tells us a lot about what God does. But you may have also noticed the asterisk up there. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Bless you. And so it's not just about what God does. It's also about what He has done and what He will do. So that's what we're going to be focusing on in this passage, and that is, that is the source from which we will derive comfort. Okay, so we're going to go back over that first couple of verses. I'd like for you to take a few seconds and look over this. Just look over it. And then someone tell me what Old Testament story we are being reminded of. That's a book. The Parting of the Red Sea. Parting of the Red Sea. That is correct. The destruction of Pharaoh's army, right? Also part of that story. Isaiah proclaims, Thus says the Lord. Now, in your Bible, especially if you have like the New International Version, if you see all caps... L-O-R-D, what what you're seeing is is the the translation into English of the Hebrew word Yahweh, okay? So this is the word Yahweh, it's God's name for himself, I am that I am. Yahweh, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters. This is clearly a reference to when the Lord parted the Red Sea to, to give the people of Israel a safe place to walk through so they could escape the army of Pharaoh. Yahweh, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior, they lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. You know, when a candle's lit, and you come up and you go, it's gone. Flame is out. And this, this could surely apply to many Old Testament stories, because God, God took out Israel's enemies quite a few times, but it's likely a reference to the same episode in history that Lloyd pointed out, where God swept Pharaoh's army into the sea and drowned all of them. And friends, as we go through the scriptures, this story, the Exodus story, is perhaps probably the single most often referred to story in Israel's history. We see it referenced over and over again in the Psalms, and in the prophets, and in and, and the Torah. We see it referenced over and over again because it's a reminder of what God has done. And, it, and it, it's utterly spectacular. At the time, it was completely unprecedented, and it puts a cap on the whole Exodus story. You know, God does something miraculous to set his people free, and then he completely vanquishes their enemies. They are also his enemies, by the way. God vanquishes their enemies that are not coincidentally his enemies. And it's in this, this really quick narrative here that, that we're treated to a, a couple of very comforting truths about God. Okay? First, God is eminently capable to accomplish the impossible. God accomplishes the impossible. Now that's in quotes because it's not it's not possible. From a finite human perspective, whereas Scripture tells us that with God, what? All things are possible. Some things are possible? No, all things. Remember how terrified the people of Israel were when they saw Pharaoh's army approaching? Do you I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna flip there, and if you have your Bible, turn to Exodus 14. I'm gonna read a, it's a pretty significant chunk here, but I really want you to, to I want this to resonate with you. Put yourself in their shoes or in their sandals for just a moment and consider what they're seeing, okay? We're going to start in verse 10 of Exodus 14. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. Of course they did. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians, whom you see today... You will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. And the Lord said to Moses, this is funny, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel, go forward. Lift up your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. The people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Let me ask you a question. I know Texas clay is bad. But have you ever tried to go out and go for a walk in an unpaved area after a rain here? Josh and I went for a bike ride the other day over where they're doing Wilmoth. When we came back, I had to use a pressure washer to clean the bikes off. (laughs) They were so bad. Dry ground doesn't happen you know, when, when you when you just take the water away. This is miracle upon miracle, just layered. Anyway, I'm sorry, I'm going to keep going here. Uh, I totally lost my place, but that's all right. Um, go forward, thank you. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. I mean, if you were the Egyptians, would you have thought, I think I'm going to chase them into that giant split river? Probably not, but God... Harden their hearts in order that they would do this and bring glory to him so that his will could be accomplished. He says, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Obviously not those Egyptians, the ones that were left. They were going to hear this story. And the angel of God who is going before the... Host of Israel. Host, when you see the word host in your uh, ESV, that's typically, it's the word army in Hebrew. Uh, The host of Israel moved and went behind them, and a pillar of cloud moved from behind them, excuse me, from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night, without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back, by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. The waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. That doesn't happen either. (laughs) This is an impossible thing that God can do. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's chariots, horsemen, and his, his horses. And in the morning, watch. The Lord, in the pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. That's what I'm talking about. That's, that's the Texas clay idea right there. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. You think they didn't figure that out? After the 10 plagues, just saying. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And so the Egyptians fled into it. The Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. Picture seeing this happen. You thought you were about to die. And instead, you're seeing God's hand vanquishing His enemies and protecting you. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Y'all, these people thought they were done for until God did the impossible. He provided a miracle that brought them to the Red Sea completely unscathed walking across on dry land with the waters heaped up on either side. I know we've heard this story a gazillion times, but do we ever really consider how utterly impressive this is? This is an incredible story. God can do anything that he wants to do in order to accomplish his purposes. So what is impossible with us is possible with him. Just take a moment to ponder that. And friend... If there's something in your life that you feel is impossible, please recognize that God can do it. And if it's within His will, you just might. I think sometimes we ask too little. We ask too little, don't we? Sometimes we ask too little. You know, if you thought of something, maybe write it down in that space in your bulletin insert. I left spaces there on purpose. If something comes to mind, this is between you and God. Remember that what what he can do is what we consider impossible. It's nothing to him. Now, there's another thing this passage reminds us about also, and that's the fact that God will always triumph over his enemies in the end. He he may give them some freedom for a time, but ultimately he does defeat the wicked. And this is extremely, exceptionally comforting. I think especially to us believers. Because the world certainly sees some of the evil that's out there, right? I mean, the, the, typically only the most egregious things. You know, they, they see the severe abuse, uh, violence, etc. Many non-believers, though, can't see the inherent wickedness in the slaughter of pre-born human beings. You know, for some, that, that's, that's considered a right. And the Bible teaches the sacred nature of marriage and sex and, and the sacredness of correct family dynamics. But the world has done away with monogamy and it's affirmed various perversions as acceptable lifestyles. Even many, many within the professing church have fallen under this evil delusion. To know that God will eventually remove evil from the world and our hearts. And that he will destroy the devil and his works once and for all. Y'all, that's big. That's so encouraging. It's so worth hanging our hopes on. I look forward to the day when, when corruption is fully gone, including mine. And where I will be able to see God with the new eyes in my new and glorified body. Don't you? Don't you long for that? Don't you look forward to that? So so God does the impossible and he defeats the wicked. And and I want to encourage you, friend, just take a moment, write down something or someone that you fear, whether it's a worry for the future, it's an anxiety, a sin that you struggle with. I'm going to give you a moment to do this. Write that down in that space. Write that down. It's just for you and God. And when you finish writing it down next to it, I want you to write, God wins. With as many exclamation points as you can fit. God wins. Let's look at these next couple of verses. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. There's our key phrase here. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? In other words, you're going to want to pay attention because God is working and you're going to witness it in a big way if you're paying attention. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now again, such marvelous statements and so comforting for those who trust God's power and trust His goodness. I want us to examine the two things he says he's going to do, which, which again, is precisely what he did already for his people when he rescued them from slavery in Egypt and when he pulled them out. First, he will make a way in the wilderness. I decided to leave that one exactly as God said it. He will make a way in the wilderness. What does that mean? Make a path. You know, literally, the Hebrew says, uh, or the Hebrew means, put in the desert a road. Put in the desert a road. For for decades, guys, decades, the Israelite nation was wandering from place to place in the wilderness, in between Egypt and Canaan, but God always showed them where to go. You know, he he led the way with a pillar of, of fire and a pillar of cloud, depending on whether it was day or night. You know, he, he always showed them the way. And this this pillar that he would manifest as, whenever that, that pillar would lift, the people of Israel would just pack up their tents, including the tabernacle, which was God's tent, and they would travel to wherever the Lord led them. Okay? And, and for some context, the book of Isaiah that we're reading here was it was written to the nation of Judah during the time that the Assyrian army had demolished the northern kingdom of samaria which was about 60% of the population that had descended from the 12 tribes of israel okay however god wiped out a huge number of the assyrian army do you remember this one angel goes through the camp that night kills 185,000 assyrian soldiers it's a busy angel he wiped out this huge number without judah even having to fight And so they didn't have to go into captivity to Nineveh, you know, like like Samaria did. But in the previous chapters, Isaiah had been prophesying about what was going to happen to Judah more than a century in the future when they were going to fall to Nebuchadnezzar and the people were going to go into captivity in Babylon because of their sin. And yet here, again, more than 100 years before it happened, Isaiah has been prophesying uh, about God bringing his people back from exile. So he's telling them, this is what happened, this, this is through this book, this is what's happened to these guys, okay, over here. Here's what's going to happen to us, or to y'all, you know, all y'all, is it? whatever. Here's what's going to happen. But God's going to bring back a remnant. And it's really fascinating how how God spoke through these prophets and revealed his future plans, and yet most of the people just kept on rejecting them. But anyway, uh, God made a way for the Israelites as they wandered in the wilderness and he made a way for the exiles in Babylon to return to Judah and rebuild Jerusalem. And we can take comfort from this because of the fact that God is making a way in our wilderness too. God is making a way in your wilderness as well. He has a path that you may not be able to currently see, but it's already laid out in his mind. And so perhaps you're unclear as to what's next. Well, okay. The Israelites in the wilderness were pretty unclear too. But they knew one thing that was very comforting. Wherever and whenever the Lord moved, they would pack up and go with them. They would follow. And I want to encourage you, friend, to take a moment and write in that space on your bulletin insert, I will follow. I will follow. Take comfort in letting God lead because listen, even if you're not sure where you're going, you know that you have a good traveling companion. Remember, a long time ago, there were bumper stickers that people had that said, God is my co pilot. And then somebody came up with another bumper sticker years later that said, if God is your co pilot, switch seats. It's true. If you're following God, you know that you are going to be where He is. You know He is with you. There's a sense in which He never leaves us when He indwells us. But if you want to be walking in the way of God, walking in His plans, you need to be going where He leads. Sometimes He leads you to go. Sometimes He leads you to stay. Sometimes he says, wait. You've got to follow. Let's consider this other phrase. He says, and rivers in the desert. Again, the Hebrew is more picturesque. It says, in the desolation, a river. And that word river can even be translated flood. And I love this because it reminds us that God can always supplant death with life. You know, if you look at the background picture here, um, you can see the just this, this beautiful valley, these rock formations. And down in the middle is this river running through, and around this river, uh, there's just tremendous greenery and life just exploding up on both sides because of the life giving flow of this river. And I, I really love this picture. This past week, those of us uh, that were reading through the Bible in a year, last year, we saw in Zechariah 14 a similar picture where the, a river of life flows out of Jerusalem to the east and to the west. But I think my favorite Old Testament picture of a life-giving river is from the passage that we opened with this morning. And I'm going to go back and read a portion of it, not the whole thing, I know it's very long, but a few verses to flesh out God's desire to give life. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel 47. I'm going to start in verse 6. Remember, Ezekiel's having this vision, and he's been walking further and deeper into this river that's flowing out of the temple and going uh, south and east. And this is uh, from 47, verse 6. Get there real quick. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on one side and on the other. And he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, which enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live and there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes. He says, fishermen will stand beside the sea. It's going to be a place of spreading of nets, many kinds of fish, like of the great sea. Verse 12, and on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. I got to just put this out there. I didn't realize I was, I was talking with my, my father about this passage, uh, my earthly father about this passage. And he pointed out the direction that this water is flowing. It's going into the Dead Sea. And this is a lot more powerful when we realize the sea that he's talking about is the Dead Sea. It's a body of water with such high content that nothing can live in it. And it's exploding with life. I mean, y'all, think about this, this, this picture. Fishermen fishing in the Dead Sea. Trees never going out of season. And what comes out of the temple to accomplish this? This river, it's the Spirit of God, friends. You know, when, when, Jesus, when God's Son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, when He came to earth, lived without sin, and then died on the cross, the old covenant came to an end, and the Holy Spirit left the building. You know, Jesus said that when He was lifted up, He would draw all men to Himself, and the Lord does that through His Spirit. Just as God brings rivers in the desert, so God's Spirit brings life to the dead. You know, there's this incredible parallel uh, in the book of Exodus chapter 17, and then again in Numbers chapter 20, where the people are are afraid they're going to die of thirst. And they're wandering in the wilderness, and God gives them a rock. And this rock, when it's struck, pours forth water into the desolate wilderness. And this happens twice. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that rock that followed them through the wilderness was Christ. He does the same thing today, friends. Streams of living water poured from Christ. He said so himself. And he was struck for our sins. And then he rose from the dead, and in him we have life. I mean, what could be a greater comfort than knowing that Jesus paid the price for our sins, and He gives life to the dead? It's certainly, a comfort for us, you know, because we can see the evidence of the Spirit's work in our lives, and we can know that we belong to Him. But it's also comforting to know that the person or the people who we've been praying for, you know, for, for them to be saved, for them to come to know Christ, those people are never too far gone. For God to get a hold of them if he so chooses, because he brings life to the dead, not to the dying, to the dead. Read Ephesians 2. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. But God, I love that phrase when you see that in scripture, there's always something cool about to happen. But God made us alive together with Christ. He did it for us. He can do it for others. So keep praying for those people. If you're still tracking, because I know I know it's I'm all over the place here, I, just take a moment and write in the space on your bulletin insert for that point, write the name of a person that you would like to see Jesus save. If they're sitting next to you, you might want to cover it up. Write down somebody that you know needs Salvation. I'll give you a moment and then um, actually we're going to stop and we're going to pray for those people. So uh, I'm going to pray and when I pause for the name, I want you to think that person's name, okay? Lord, in the name of Christ Jesus, we know that you are God who gives life to the dead and we ask in Jesus' name for the spiritually dead people that we know, Father. We specifically want to lift up this person, we ask that you might save him or her. Open their eyes to see the truth. Give them the, the desire to believe. Give them faith, Lord. Help them to, to grasp the incredible mercy that you gave us through Jesus Christ. Soften their heart that they may stop rejecting you. In Jesus' name. All right, we're going to move ahead to our last couple of verses. Um, After saying he would make a way in the wilderness and make rivers in the desert, God says, the wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed from myself that they might declare my praise. Guys, this is a beautiful picture. Wild beasts, he says, will honor him. I mean, do you ever think about the fact that trees don't have to be taught to raise their hands? Do you ever think about how creation reflects God's glory? You know, it's amazing to consider that that's perhaps even animals show gratitude when they receive a blessing. You can argue, oh, he's being picturesque. He's being metaphorical. I don't know. Maybe animals are just wiser than we are. How much more should we show our thanks to God? There's two more quick things um, I'm going to look at here, and because of the logical flow, I'm going to actually do them in reverse, um, but I think it'll be easy to follow. Just let me draw your attention to the fact that God says that he will form a people for himself, okay, for a specific purpose. Consider um, the passage that Kayla read earlier this morning from Acts chapter 2. After Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. The apostles went to Jerusalem to wait for the Holy Spirit to show up. And, uh, and he did, <laughs> big time. Um, we're going to look at verse, starting in uh, chapter two, we're going to look at verse one and just the next few here. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now they is basically all of the Christians. They're all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's an amazing passage. You know, they began speaking, by the way, when he says speaking in in other tongues, he's referring to actual languages. And then the Holy Spirit, through Peter, preached the first recorded Christian sermon in history. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this new thing that God was doing, created for him a people that were consecrated, that were set apart. And not by, by physical circumcision or the Mosaic law, because that, that's how the Israelites were set apart in the, the wilderness. We are set apart by what Paul called a circumcision of the heart. And he says that he is writing his law on our hearts. You know, 1 Peter tells us we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And that specific purpose, which Isaiah mentioned, was probably what was on Peter's mind when he said what we're set apart for. Do you remember what we're set apart for? That we might proclaim the excellencies, sound familiar? Of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's what we're set apart for. And that's the slightly elaborated version of that they might declare my praise, as Isaiah says. If you are in Christ, you are one of the people that God has set aside and formed for himself. And so as long as you have faith, you belong to him. And that is perhaps the most comforting thing of all. I mean, I I want to invite you, friends, just take a moment and write a few words to God in the space that's provided there. Not to ask Him for salvation, but to thank Him for choosing you and forming you into one of His people. Just take a moment. Thank God. and then we'll move on to our, our final point, and that is that God puts rivers in the desert to give drink to His chosen people. Friends, for those who believe in Jesus Christ, we belong to God. And those who belong to God, we can be certain that He will provide for our needs. He will provide for all of our needs, not necessarily our wants, but our basic needs, needs. He provides them. He takes care of us. There's a proverb that says, I've never seen the children of the righteous begging for bread. And while that's a generality, it's just a reminder that God really does care for us. He really does. He takes good care of his people. And that's really important for us to remember whenever we start getting nervous about all the potential things that could go wrong or things that are to come. You know, whether it's the continued degradation of society or or fear of rejection or persecution, whether it's concerns about finances or about our children's future or or the fact that that many mainline denominations have completely rejected God's authority. It's all just desert, but God makes rivers in the desert. He does. He provides a, a stream of the flow of the Holy Spirit for us to drink from as we navigate the wilderness of this earthly existence. And that, you know, that's that's really comforting. And friends, I I don't want you, I, I said all this, but I don't want anyone thinking our comfort is really the focus. It's not. Okay? Our comfort is based on who God is. And what he has promised, not on our current visible circumstances. This life is supposed to be hard. Did you know that? It is. We forget that. Our American existence is very different from most of the world. This century is very different from most of the world, previous ones. Life used to be a lot harder for a lot more things, a lot more reasons. The point is not for us. Okay, I want, I want to say this. I want everybody to hear me. So if you're sleeping, wake up. <laughs> I want you to hear this. Our comfort is not the point. The purpose of our life is not to be as comfortable as possible. It's to follow Jesus and take comfort in His love and sovereignty. That's the point. I want to bring this message kind of into the dock here with a challenge. Uh, One more instruction and a final word of encouragement, okay? Here's what that looks like. In this new year, may each of us, may each of us understand that God expects more of us. He wants us to step out on faith. God's desire For his people, it's been said wisely. Christ did not die to make us happy. He died so that we would be holy. His desire for his people is that we love purely, that we serve freely, that we give generously, that we worship honestly, that we live with integrity. He he wants us to live with consistency and faithfulness, not this roller coaster spirituality that we tend to fall into. Me too. And so, friends, be challenged, okay? Know, Know this. We are God's people, He is going to provide for us. So let's step it up. You can start with a Bible app. I want to encourage you in this last space. um, Just take a few seconds and maybe write in something between you and God that you'll commit to this year because you know He expects it of you. I'm not saying come up with some crazy, you know, I'm going to run a marathon. You know, that's not what I'm I'm talking about. You know God's expectations for you. You know of an area that maybe nobody else knows that you're falling short. And I want to challenge you. I want to invite you. Between you and God, commit to something. You know, maybe it's your with regard to your, your church attendance or your, your time commitments, uh, your relationships, spending versus giving habits, a sin that you've refused to give up. right in that space what you're committing to Him and then after church, uh, maybe share it with someone you trust so that there can be some accountability. I think, I really believe this, guys. As we commit individually to walking in faith, our congregation as a whole is going to experience the blessings of faithfulness in our church and in our families. I really believe this. It starts with each one of us individually, though. Let me give you just a little more time to write, and then I'm going to close this Bible with, this this sermon with my favorite uh, river passage in the Bible. Some of us read this yesterday. This is Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5, if you'd like to flip there. Revelation 22, 1 through 5. It gives us this glorious image of the kingdom of heaven where those people that God has formed for himself are going to spend all eternity. It's a very familiar picture. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. Listen to this line. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. We're going to get to see God's face. Night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. You know, this morning, for those of you that read Genesis 1, it talks about the three rivers flowing the Tigris and the Euphrates and the Pishon and how the garden of eden was right there at that river being fed by these waters all through scripture we see the river and one day we're going to be living alongside one that's going to be there forever it sounds really peaceful it sounds very comforting but we're not there yet folks <laughs> And so while we're here, let God's river of life flow through you. As Christ said, he said, streams of living water will come from me. We're supposed to be the representatives, the, 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 the I forgot the word, <laughs> of Christ here on earth. What's the word? It starts with an A. Yeah, ambassadors. ambassadors, thank you. Supposed to be God's ambassadors, Christ's ambassadors here on earth. Let that water flow through you. Let the Holy Spirit flow through you this year. Open up your hearts and your lives to people. Preach the gospel where you go, whether it's at work or at school or in your home. Guys, let's be faithful. And this morning, if if there's some decision that the Holy Spirit is leading you to make, whether it's to profess your faith in Christ uh, for the first time publicly and be baptized according to His Word, then do so. Or maybe you feel that, that the Holy Spirit is saying, you know, you've already been baptized and gone through this, but man, you've really been backsliding and you want to come up and need to confess that you need Jesus. If that's the case, come on. We'll lay hands on you and pray. Or perhaps you just need prayer for something else. If there's anything that the Holy Spirit is leading you to do this morning, I'm just going to ask you, don't say no.